This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Thank you for joining us here at um, our session. Um, there are several of us here from Harbor of Hope. You've met four of our young people. David, Pastor David, Andrew, my son, um, who's 16. We have a couple more. I have a couple more of my kids here. There's Gabriel, who's eight. Where's Michael? Is he around here? Michael's in the back. <laughs> He's 13. And we have Layla. And where's Tiffany? She's missing. Okay, she's on her way here. Um, after I'm done with the, giving a little bit of a talk on the history of Harbor of Hope, we're going to just allow you guys to ask questions to our other leaders here so we can share with you about our experiences. And um, <clears throat> let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this privilege that you've given us, Lord, to be here and to share uh, what we've learned so far and our experiences. Lord, I pray that uh, you could put fire into the hearts of our young people and um, everyone that's here, Lord, to... Um, to serve if they are being called into the inner city ministry, Lord, and to equip them. And uh, we pray that um, uh, you will bless us and bless me especially, Lord, because to help me present in a concise, clear way. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, I just want to first start out with a little bit of the history of Harbor of Hope. Um, we are located in Benton Harbor, Michigan. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Michigan, um, but we're about 20. 20, 25 minutes away from Berrien Springs, okay, Andrews University. Pastor Dwight, you guys met him earlier, right? You all met him earlier when he did the ser sermon, for the afternoon sermon. He preached a sermon in 1997 and 1998 about things that break the heart of God, that, and they should break our hearts. And one thing he mentioned, among others, was serving in Benton Harbor, an inner city just about 20, 25 minutes up the road from Pioneer Memorial Church. Do we have that clip, too? Can we, yeah. Here's some pictures we have. Go to the one um, with Pastor Dwight. Oh, can we, hang on a second. You may have to turn it up. lot of kids and not mentioning the families that they come from they come to our church they like being at church which is amazing to me most a lot of these kids get to church before we do sometimes when we show up on Sabbath morning some of us at 8 some of us at 9 the kids would be outside waiting for us same thing on Wednesday for our Wednesday night program 
What would you like to pay, pray about, Pastor Seth? Just wait, let's listen to Silver. We want to pray for Teacher Angela, that she has a good day, and that a good day at her job. We want to pray for God and Jesus and our families who love us. We are thankful that Pastor Skip is here because he's a good person and we love him. And the devil never controls us, never destroys us. We want to be with you in, in heaven and we want to be protected by you. We want to have love from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Subject to judgment. What do you think Jesus is saying here? He doesn't want people to be angry. Okay. Okay. He first starts out talking about murder. You think it means school? I don't know. Like, you you keep saying something like you. What you said is that you'll be uh, like. Uh, you'll be sent to the fire. We were there from 9:50 to 11:30, just walking on the beach, on the pier, and all together. Where you guys? We were all together. Okay. This is our second date. I started going to New Point because, well, actually it was because my, my auntie took me. She took me then and I started going and going and that's how I started going. I started coming to New Point because my cousin told me it was a good church and that I should go. So I went. What'd you think about it? I think it's pretty, I think New Point is really good because um, I like the people who goes there. I like the activi activities we do and the when we go to chapel or the service. I started going to New Plan because like it was like the best church I've been ever like been been to ever since I've been in Ben Harbor because like there's more people there and um you learn more about Jesus and God and stuff. So that's why I go there. Um when I first went to New Plan I loved it. It was like so cool. Why? What's cool about it? Well, there was this pastor there at New Plan uh, named Pastor Tim. And the way he preached was, I, I, loved, I loved it a lot. The teachers at the um, church do really care about us. How do you know? Because they show us like, about love. They love us and treat us right. The kids want to be with you. That's the biggest thing. When you're new. You saw a little clip of um, Harbor of Hope. Actually, what it started out was New Plant. And um, when Pastor Dwight did his sermon, there was a few students that really took this message to heart. And they went out, out door to door praying with people. And eventually, this led to children's programs. And eventually, the kids and the church volunteers wanted a church to invite their families to. And an old congregational church was acquired as a rental. And the church building was from the heyday of uh, Benton Harbor. Benton Harbor used to be a quite ritzy town at one time. And um, the church was large and it had stained glass windows, a huge bell tower. I can't read anymore. <laughs> Who turned the lights off? <laughs> Hardwood basketball um, court and industrial kitchen were all included at a very reasonable price. So in December 7, 2003, New Plant SDA Church uh, met for the first Sabbath in a small chapel located off the side of our current sanctuary. Pastor Skip McCarty, who um, was a, is a retired uh, pastor of PMC now, um, of evangelism, oversaw this ministry, and he's, even though he's retired, he's still active 
in our church. Um, the spring of 2004, the students continued to go door to door praying with people and inviting them to fall meetings. And in the fall of 2004, we had Chaplain Timothy Nixon had an um, evangelistic campaign focusing strongly on the teenagers and the youth. <clears throat> so soon after this, they hired Pastor Divine as their minister, and things continued to grow and change. Our situation required us to get a different pastor to lead the church. And in 2000, fall 2006, um, Pastor Yap was hired, uh, a seminary, he was a seminary student and a retired soldier. And what you're seeing here, um, some of this was during Pastor Divine's um, time and also some of it during Pastor, when Pastor Yap was there. So somewhere around um, the end of Pastor Yap's term, the, the church went from being new plant to harbor of hope. And <clears throat> in 2007, Pastor Walter was taking volunteers involved in Harbor of Hope SDA Church to Chicago to receive training from other inner city ministries. During the trip, he distinctly and strongly felt God calling him to minister in Benton Harbor and not return to Canada. After praying about this for a month, Pastor Walter resigned his job um, that was waiting for him in Canada and agreed to be the next pastor at Harbor of Hope. So he's our current pastor now, um, and Pastor Yap, um, went to, it was, he was soon graduating, and he moved to California. <clears throat> Harbor of Hope, um, we especially emphasize ministry to children. Do you have the next diamond? Uh, with the, Where's the one with the diagram for the children? Hmm? Okay, keep going then. Okay, go back a little bit. Okay. I remember the events of those days more clearly than those which have happened recently. For what we learn as children grows up with the soul and becomes united to it. See that bicycle wheel that's sort of grown right into the tree there? And one of the analogies that our pastors used with us is children are like um, trees and saplings as they're growing. You can bend them and you can shape them to more so, and children are more easily influenced than adults. A lot of times we gear our evangelistic campaign to adults, um, but it's actually studies have shown that it's children who respond um, more to, to these type of um, things. Go ahead to the next one. Children lay the foundation of their faith. Teens have a confirmation of their faith. Oops, did it go? It's all right. This is just a diagram. We're having difficulty. Okay. Teens have a confirmation of their faith. Young adults leave the faith. Parents come back to the faith. Parents are the largest influence on their children. These are studies that show that, unfortunately, you have this thing where young adults leave the faith. I'm glad to see that this is not happening here at GYC, and, you know, I, it, it's great to see that young adults are very involved. Um, but this is what the studies show. We do target, we have a big emphasis on um, children, as I said, because of the reason that they are most easily influenced. Um, next slide. And this is just showing a graph of, of that. 
the biggest influence on wait, stop right here. The biggest influence on um, children of their parents. What's that? Okay. Um, right now, I want you to take a little bit too. We've given the history of Harbor of Hope, but we want you to take you to where we are at right now, um, the current um, vision, and where we're going with that. <clears throat> Although we're in the transition of rethinking our vision, mission, and methods of ministry, here's our journey so far. And um, we have tried to put it into eight-step strategy as follows. The first one is if you want to compare it to a baseball diamond, the first one is that prayer is our pitching mount. So God's word says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So we seek to apply this on a weekly staff prayer meeting. And <clears throat> during church, we give about 15 to 25 minutes of the service to prayer and testimony um, in the divine service and encourage all the leaders to have a prayer partner that they can meet with once a week. The next thing is, the second step involved is we connect with the community. Christ's method, oops, could you go back a little bit? Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. In some of the ways we do this, the Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. Then he bade them, follow me. So some of the ways we do this is we connect with the community. And um, we do door-to-door visitation and prayer. Uh, There is a basketball ministry that goes on on a weekly basis. The kids are on, the younger ones are on Wednesdays. We separate them. The young men are on Thursdays. Do we have more pictures of them? Okay. And... Yeah, why don't we put the video? This don't make no sense, Sean. I hope I bring you glory on this one, Father. Help me now. I know how that sounds. 
morning. And I want you to tell them. Can you fast forward to that spot? Okay, we'll just continue. We can't. We didn't finish, but um, and we do other things uh, to be involved in the community. This over just Christmas before we left, we went Christmas caroling and um, tried to pass out literature about us um, to to the community. Uh, the third thing we do, we do programs specifically for the children and teens. And let's have some slides on that. We. We have different programming. One is rock, um, and it's for ages three to seven. We have Kid Zone for ages seven to twelve. Um, the bridge, or AY stuff for twelve to eighteen. Next. <clears throat> we have buses that uh, pick up the children, especially for the afternoon programming in our town. People want to send us their kids to learn something about positive about God. So um, every Sabbath we pick up kids on buses and uh, we partner with Andrews University on that. They also bring some buses and help us uh, pick up kids and uh, bring them to church. 
And a lot of Andrews students come out here during the afternoon to help us because we wouldn't be able to manage and handle this many kids during the after Sabbath afternoons if it wasn't for that. And uh, teach them about God in a way that can be fun and that they can, they can understand at their age level. And then we drop them off. And um, buses are expensive. And it takes a lot of work to get it to run. But this is the way that we've found so far that works for us to get as many children to these programming as possible. <coughs> This is some more of the kids' zone activities. This was their Christmas party that they did. More of the... Now, they also, during the summer, this summer, they did a, what we call a sidewalk kids' zone, where they took this van, and they took it to the streets and went to parks and just invited kids to come and listen and um, teach us about God in, in, in a really fun way. They have games and... Keep going. Okay. Uh, the next um, thing that we really especially work on is visitation. And families <clears throat> who have a child or a teen in our ministry gets a regular visits on Friday afternoon. And um, this is to see how the family's doing and we pray for their needs. We invite the young people back to Kids Zone and Rock and AY, the afternoon programming, and we try to invite the entire family to come to family church on Sabbath morning. <clears throat> this is family church that we're having here. Would you go back one more picture? Every Sabbath we run a bus in the morning to pick up the adults and kids who uh, want to come to church. Uh, if they have transportation, they drive themselves, but if they don't, they ride the bus. And we provide a nutritious uh, breakfast and lunch for everyone. We, this year, have switched up the order of our service. We used to do, just like the traditional way, Sabbath school first and then church, but we, we reversed it to see what would happen. Um, <clears throat> We have divine service first and then Sabbath school. The reasoning behind this is so that the speaker can introduce and preach a sermon on a topic, and when we break for Sabbath school, our Sabbath school teachers have an opportunity to reinforce, reflect, and apply the sermon in the relational setting of Sabbath school. Now, one of the side effects sort of from what has happened with us doing this, we tried it just to see if it would work. For our um, ministry, it's actually been quite successful, even though people told us that they didn't think this would work for us. Um, we've actually increased Sabbath school attendance as a result because in our community, a lot of the people feel that the church service itself is very important, the divine service is important. So when it was last, they would miss Sabbath school and just show up for that. But when we reversed the order, they made a point of coming for the divine service, but as a result, they ended up staying for Sabbath school. So Sabbath school uh, attendance has increased and has actually been very good. Here's just some more slides of um, just showing you the meals. This is some news that are involved in the mentoring program that we do. The mentoring program occurs on Monday. Okay. Just to play at church. That's Pastor Walter with his new baby. Okay. 
the next part of the diamond, the baseball diamond, although we're convinced that parents are the primary spiritual teacher of their kids and the family, it's the basis of society, we have not yet been able to implement an effective parenting program. Um, we're praying and looking for God, looking to God for, to bring us passionate leaders in this area of ministry. This is one area that's lacking for us. We have like three families that come consistently and the adults come, but um, mostly we still have a lot of kids come who don't come with parents. This is one of our um, uh, parents who come. Just pretty amazing, uh, the turnaround in his life that's occurred. Uh, he was having legal issues and lots of different things going on, and he's, he's really on fire for Jesus now. And it, it's really made a big difference in his family because his daughter, who would never come to church before, as a result of him taking the leadership and that role modeling in his family, has started coming and bringing her ch children consistently. Uh, this is the last part of our um, baseball diamond. We believe that God's church is to be more like a battleship than a cruise ship. Our, on a battleship, everyone on the ship is involved in winning the war. On a cruise ship, the majority wait to be served by the minority. So <clears throat> through spiritual gift testing, mentoring, and encouragement, we seek to help every believer find the place that God has called them to serve in our church and our community. And we believe every member is a minister, and this is kind of our goal, to equip our young people and older people to serve and be involved in ministry. And we're hoping this is one of the ways that we can keep that statistics that we showed you earlier about young people leaving the church. You know, that's happening in the Seventh-day Adventist church too, you know. That's, and so if people take ownership um, and, and realize this is their ministry also, and this is, you know, the partnership with God, they're more likely to stay than if it's, you know, they're bench warmers or sitting on the sidelines. And the last, this is just sort of the completed diamond, the baseball diamond we were talking about. I just want to give you just a real quick, um, some testimonies of people when they first started at the ministry, not to make it look like, you know, we, we had a perfect starting from the very beginning. Um, one of the pastors, you saw him in the beginning, I think, in the Pastor Ramel. He's currently our youth pastor. His comment when he first came to what was New Plan at the time, um, his first impression was it was very chaotic, very foreign, kids running all over, screaming. <laughs> so it's taken us some time to um, bring control and discipline, and I think the situation is different now. It doesn't, it's, it's not that bad. Uh, as what he describes. And uh, one of the other things that Pastor Walter, who's currently our pastor, when Pastor Walter visited in 2005, there was so many kids uh, running around, kids in chaos, that he ran the other way and refused to return for over two years. Uh, his roommate, Pastor, uh, pastor Yogel, tried recruiting Walter to no avail. Uh, but he did come back, and uh, so, so we've gone from there. Pastor Skip... McCarty, who's, uh, who I mentioned earlier, um, was impressed by, passionate, by the passion and consistency of the students who are helping us at uh, New Plant, overwhelmed, though, by the kids bouncing off the walls, and uh, his comment was, we're in way over our heads. So <clears throat> I'm not sure if he still exactly feels that way, but these were first impressions. 
that when we first started. So at this point, I want to just open the floor to questions. And, um, you know, there's Andrew, will you come up here and just read that one? We have a, uh, we have a statement from uh, Sister White from the, uh, from the Spirit of Prophecy. And we just want to read this to you because Layla and I were talking about this. You know, you know there's, uh, people are always talking about you need to get out of the city, you need to get out of the city because, you know, Sister White says that, you need to get out of the city. But um, that's true. You're not supposed to live in the city. You're supposed to live out if possible, but um, you are to go in to work in the cities. Mm -hmm. So we have a statement that Andrew's going to read. Is this on? Can you hear me? Okay. Um, I have a couple of different uh, quotes. The first one is from Ministry of Healing. Um, Christ's method alone will give us true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. Um, here's another one from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 7. When I think of the cities in which so little has been done, in which there are so many thousands to be warned of the soon coming of the Savior, I feel an intensity of desire to see men and women going forth to the work in the power of the Spirit, filled with Christ's love for perishing souls. We all need to be wide awake that as the way opens, we may advance the work in the large cities. We are far behind in following the light given to enter these cities and erect memorials for God. Step by step, we are to lead souls into the full light of truth. And we are to continue the work until a church is organized and a humble house of worship built. I have one or two more. Oh, that we might see the needs of these cities as God sees them. At such a time as this, every hand to be employed. The Lord is coming. The end is near. Yea, it hasteth greatly. That's from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9. There... There is means now tied up that should be in use for the unworked cities in Europe, Australia, and America, and in the regions beyond. These cities have been neglected for years. The angels of God are waiting for us to give our labors for their inhabitants. From town to town, from city to city, from country to country, the warning message is to be proclaimed, not with outward display, but in the power of the Spirit by men of faith. That's from Evangelism, page 428. I would like to go ahead. The first one was from Ministry of Healing, page 143. The second one was from Testimonies for the Church, volume 7, page 40. The third one was from Testimonies for the Church, volume 9, page 101. And the fourth one is from Evangelism, page 428. Yes. I would like the other leaders to come up and um, if you have any questions, I see in one hand. I have three questions. Okay. Uh, one at a time. The first one is you're obviously working with a lot of people with tremendous needs. But let's say you learn that a family, their electricity was turned off and it's uh, electricity's turned off and it's winter. I mean, do you also have built in some capacity to meet? immediate physical needs of, of the people? Yeah, um, because when the church started, it was uh, partnered with PMC, uh -huh. Pioneer Memorial Church. 
um, there was intake forms that they could fill out and you know we could immediately see if there was a need or if it was something that could be waited on and so there was a process and it's also trying to prevent repeat use or abuse of the mm -hmm. system so it, it's looked at in a more careful way mm -hmm. instead of just money handed out or dished out and sure. then we don't know what's happening so you do have to be careful Sure, um, understand. Because you don't want to enable people with dysfunctional behaviors. You want to actually okay. help them with that. And if there's problems, you want to identify it. And the, one of the ways to do that is to be more thorough um, with this form of intake. See whatever money they're getting in and what's going out and how it's being used. And then if there's counseling that can be given for that, that kind of a thing. So second question is, um, obviously, there's a lot of money going out to, to feed people. Uh, what is the funding that you all have? Is, is Pioneer Memorial, are they still funding that kind of thing? I mean, you're, you don't have a, a yeah, you know, stu students here. don't have a lot of money on hand. And well, our offering base has been increasing. Um, so, but a lot of our church has been done by donations mm -hmm. um, so far because a lot of the people that were coming to our church were children. So they couldn't really support the ministry right. in that way. We don't really have the adult base yet from the community itself. But um, <laughs> I know that the the you know what you guys want to say to that. But with the local area churches did support us, but some of that is um, not there as much as it used uh -huh. to be. So some of it is driven by donations. But the church itself is putting in more than it used to, but not nearly what it takes to feed and run the buses and do all that sure. that we're doing. But you know, each area, this is what we've done. It doesn't mean that every person has to, every area has sure. to do it this way. This is one model. My last this question is, is um, hang on one second. I just wanted to, did you guys want to answer to any of those? I was just saying, in addition to that, there are different fundraising events that we put on as a church. So okay. our youth pastor right now has put on um, concerts in various spring people come to um, yeah. Okay, my, my last question is, in, in our church, I know we talk about having something where there would be a, a meal provided for the, for the community, but how do you ever figure how many to prepare for? Do you run out of food sometimes? Do you have, I mean, how do you figure? For, I guess now Sabbath? you're into, pardon? For, during Sabbath? Yeah. Um, well, at our church, we have, I don't know if they come, I think they're all volunteers, they yeah. like groups of families or just a, a members from a church. They spend time in the kitchen and they bring out large um, dishes. And food never really runs out, to be honest. They're just okay. very large dishes, and you okay. line up. Um, and they're never prepared for the number because every week the number varies with visitors and stuff. Mm -hmm. So just large portions. Yeah, we've really kind of had an amazing team um, with the food prep. I don't even know how they make their money stretch as, as much as they do. Gotcha. They're very frugal, gotcha. but with the, with the nutritious meals they provide us. So, uh, you know, um, they're very careful, and but they do provide, and if there's lots of people, they try to give smaller portions and make people go around the second time so that, you know, we'll make sure everybody gets something. But, um, do you mind if I say something? To oh, sure. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know you were back there. <laughs> <laughs> I snuck up on you. Here. Yeah, come on over here. Okay. Um, introduce yourself because I hadn't my name you. my name's John and um, I've I've been in uh, Benton Harbor since uh, March of 2003 so I've had the privilege of uh, watching all this come together and um, this is actually the um, the money where it, where it comes from is that um, this is actually a church plant they called it new plant now Harbor of Hope um, but 
Pioneer Memorial Church um, on the campus of Andrews University um, saw the great need uh, from actual students. Um, they're reading. They're just reading the book Education a few years before this happened, and they started a small ministry. Just a few students. They were like, uh, they saw a personal. They had a personal responsibility to those around them um, about. Uh, that quote, I forget what page it is in education, but it talks about um, how every church, we have a, they just read it from the front the other um, day, yesterday, I believe, um, that um, these people have a right to hear the uh, good news of Christ. And it, to every person, church, school, institution, that... Um, has this light. They have the responsibility. You know, this question comes to them. Um, has God sent you to the kingdom for such a time as this? And um, those students, they just did some things. They started out with um, uh, just driving over there. Then they were like, this is expensive. Let's try to get a student org organization to help us out. So they uh, had AUSA, Andrews University Student Association, um, that they were like, can we get some funding to help with this? Then they got their, they arranged their own transportation, and it got big enough. Dwight, uh, Pastor Dwight Nelson, got um, word of this, and uh, he just, he's a, uh, it touched his heart, and he would he would preach about it, and invited those that were interested um, to to volunteer to take a more active part and um, sacrifice some resources for this, and the church to adopt um, these these um, greater needs that they're becoming more and more aware of and uh, do something more as a church. And so they took um, these students um, from what they were... They had just rented a building that they eventually bought um, before that, right before Harbor of Hope Church in 2004. They had like a building where they would give uh, tutor kids. We'd have a program on Sabbath, um, do some things during the week there. It started small. It didn't just like pop. This was um, this. This took years. Of, it started with actual students like yourselves, like young people, that were just reading the book education, and saw, oh, they have a, they have, a right to hear this good news that we know of, and then they were like, let's do something about it. You know, the, they answered the question, has God sent us to the kingdom for such a time as this, and. Well, we're here in the kingdom, and God sent us here, and it's not for a time past or a time future that He sent us here. So they answered that question, yes, and they started something. But um, we have the amazing privilege of um, being close to Andrews University, um, and so um, I believe it's, it's so providential because uh, you hear this quote. Uh, I think it's Education 271 all the time that it's like. Um, with such a army of uh, youth as our, uh, so with such an army as our youth rightly trained might furnish, how soon might the end come? The end of suffering and sorrow and sin. And anyway, but right be, um, right before that, um, which you seldom hear quoted, you see, she talks about what that rightly trained is, and that is ministry. Um, you know, when we minister, the angels speak through our voices and work, um, work by our hands. And she says, what 
college course can equal this. And Andrews University, um, we're kind of working that out. It's been a rough path, I tell you. And I'm telling you, honestly, it's still rough. Um, but life is rough, and we have the amazing opportunity of, for our students to come here and receive uh, the best college course, according to the Spirit of Prophecy. The, I mean, they minister. Um, they have real people and real needs that they um, are acquainted with. They don't just come to Andrew. You know, some of our meccas, like Berrien Springs, you come there and it is... Um, Sometimes you can, some of our students, we go years without talking to anyone that is not an Adventist, except in the grocery store. And in Berrien Springs, most people in the grocery stores, unless you're buying something after Sabbath, they're, they're Adventists too. And, um, or else you assume they are. And um, anyway, so we, we lose touch with reality. And that's, when you lose touch of reality, you can just leave college, leave our Adventist institutions as a person that is um, what the book Education, again, calls Mrs. White. Um, you can encounter that danger of becoming an educated weakling. Um, following the worldly system of education, you know, that brings us to, like, uh, it's always training us to be pie-in-the-sky theoretical and um, not to be hearers of lots of words and theories and all these things, but never doers of what we know is right. You know, Mrs. White talks about how when we are, if we are acquainted with a need of those around us, we are responsible for doing everything in our power to meet that need. That is, um, and in Isaiah 58, which talks about how the, the simplicity, you know, of the Christian walk, you know, the fast that is acceptable to God. It talks about how um, this, this was the fast that Israel in, in Christ's time were, were um, talking about. They were, they were fasting all sorts of, and just asking another ordinance, you know, just tell us something else to do, what, what not to eat, what... Um, what another ordinance, but what he said is not, this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed, oppressed go free and break every yoke, to deal thy bread to the hungry, you know, um, clothe the naked, and all these things. And we, anyway, it's, it's been amazing to me to uh, just be a part of that. And, um, but the money, honestly, comes from PMC, uh, Andrews University. And, uh, you know, there's lots of um, thing, Adventists um, with too much money um, because they don't see something real. Um, to put it, they're looking for excuses. Uh, some of them are looking for excuses not to spend their money. Others just get carried away with investing in worldly things um, instead of in heavenly things. Um, but others, they're looking for something genuine to put their money in. And I encourage you, if you have a church that, with people with too much money um, that are looking for something amazing to do, God sent you here for a reason. Go read a quote in education and do something. Go, go out in a neighborhood, okay? 
Like the bad part. Okay, angels that excel in strength. You know, angel of the Lord encampeth around about those who fear him. If you believe that, um, pray for that you won't be crazy, but you're gonna, you love people enough, you're going to go out in faith and go to their doors and a neat, somewhere you can see, maybe even outside their house, that they need help that only Jesus can give them. You go there, knock on the door, talk to them for five minutes, and I guarantee you, you, you will have at least five times as much gusto to go back again and go to your knees and pray for them and get the cycle moving and grow yourself and um, go to those. Maybe eventually after three or four times, you'll, you'll have the encouragement to go to your church and invite someone else to help you. And then if you all get together and unified as a church around the needs of the world, which the church is organized for, the apostles, we organize the church for service. Most Adventist churches, we don't understand that, that we are organized for service. We're not a club that we're all vegetarians or, you know, I'm not even going to go there, guys. But, no, no. But we're organized for service. And when we go there with our hearts aching with the love of Jesus for those that aren't there. I mean, sometimes it's so sad that we can go in our church and in our school, and enjoy our blessings without thinking about the people that aren't there, that don't have those privileges. And they can wait on us in the stores, the restaurants, all these places, and we don't think about their salvation. And um, just get, your, get yourself involved. Um, there's another, there's another um, Mrs. White says that um, those are most surely working out their um, own salvation who are engaged um, and winning others to Christ. Um, so I talked a lot about money there. I could give you the history of some more things, but um, if you want to ask another question. <laughs> and, and the money is a little bit of a tough situation because there's different things, and we also do fundraise. It's not all coming from PMC. We also do fundraise, and there's other things. Right. So I think John's been more involved with the outreach part, afternoon part, isn't he? Right, and most. So, I was just saying that most of our mm-hmm. money... Um, came from there. They've been growing and having great success, and they've been having to fundraise, and they're actually becoming more and more independent, and they're actually almost self-sustaining um, now to a large degree. And uh, but if you want to make donations, I'm sure um, that we'll have that opportunity well, available later. We didn't come later. here to do that, but that's okay. And another question? Yes, my name is Shirley, and I live in Houston, and um, currently in Pasadena. Uh, my church is uh, starting a church similar to what you're working with there in Benton Harbor, and it's crossing the city, and we're very new, so it's interesting to hear what you're doing. My, I have a couple of questions. Um, how long have you been, when did you first start? I'd like to know about how long it's taken you to get where you are today. I really am interested in knowing how do you reach the parents? Do you have a structured system of getting the parents involved because this is one area that we're having difficulty with is getting the parents involved and do you have a way to do that and what percentage do you have of parents attending um i'm just going to answer a little bit of that and i'll open it up for you guys too um we have had difficulty also with uh parents attending um you know i think there's many factors you know, with the Adventist message, it's, it's quite strange to, to a lot of people to go on Saturday instead of Sunday. And they're happy to 
sent their kids because they thought it was a program. And uh, we do have, uh, like I said, it started out uh, more with the children, but we do have three sets of families now with the adults also coming. And we're hoping that'll increase. But we haven't implemented uh, something specifically to address the parents or parenting. Um, we're working on that. That's our goal for this year, to work on that. So um, I can't tell you what we've done so far because we really have addressed more of a children's ministry so far. When did you start? We started, um, like when I mentioned, 1997 to 1988 was when, when Pastor Dwight did the um, sermon. Students went out, and it just started out with they were going door-to-door praying. And then after that, the, you know, they began to do children's programs, and after that they found a need to be able to get together somewhere. So it was 2003 when the New Plant SDA Church started in a chapel there. And from there, it has grown, so from there to now. Um, for me, I can, I can say to, you know, about 40 to 60 kids, I would say, on average. Uh, sometimes we get more. Um, lately, we've been really going over the 100 mark in terms of um, with students that come and adults that are coming. But um, membership, I can't, I can't give you the exact numbers and stuff on that. Can we, we, do you want to kind of speak a little bit about, yeah, about time to address parents and... Okay, I thought I was going to be loud enough. I guess not. Um, so kind of just to address the issue with parents, um, what we're kind of doing is utilizing, because since there are a good amount of kids, I'm really using that relationship with the kids in order to continue to build that. Some things that have been um, fairly successful, I'm going to leave, I'm Tiffany talking about one with the mentoring, but mm-hmm. we're part of a separate ministry that's, di- that's separate from um, the church in Ben Harbor. We're able to go into the middle schools, the public middle school, and go into the public high schools as well, um, and spend time with kids and build relationships with kids. And just like with a I mean, just like with kids, adults also, once that relationship is built with other adults, you see them actually wanting to come because they now have a relationship with you. There's a face they can put with it. Um, Something that we did for Thanksgiving, um, we had a Thanksgiving meal where the kids brought their parents. And so as leaders of that, we're able to get to know all the parents. The parents are then trusting us and wanting to come and actually um, be a part of that. So that's one way um, that can work. And there's something to do with the mentoring program. Yeah, and from what David said, what we do, if we have a mentor, we never go on the phone and say, can I speak to your child? without speaking to the parent first. So we like to introduce ourselves, ask the parents how they're doing, let them know that we don't only care about your kids but about you as well. And also with Thanksgiving, we have Thanksgiving dinner. We take the other mentoring groups that I'm a part of, we have about 10 to 14 kids from the church, and we bring them every single Sunday for like the whole entire day. And um, we focus on different points, whether it's devotion, mentoring, time alone, because we realize that in church there's just so many and it's hard to get a personal relationship with any of them. So we're starting to do this program year-round, having new kids each and every time. And um, when we we have the biggest turnout with parents when we have the children do performances, whether it's at church or we even had a parents' day to kind of get the parents to start coming in. and so that's what we're working on. This semester, specifically, we're working on discipling the whole family. So we're requiring the parents to come at least once or twice a month to the programs that we're having on Sunday. And it's in our papers and just saying, you know, how involved are you willing to be in your child's life? And that will affect if we'll have the children in the program or not. And so we want them to know that it's, 
it's crucial that they are involved. And I think that that has been, we just started that this year, hasn't yeah, it? But, mm -hmm. So, and we also, we've had a lot of positive feedback on that. Parents are really starting to get more involved in showing up to church. So I think this has been wonderful. Um, the other thing that we've done also, so I forgot to mention, is socials, oh, yeah. uh, church socials and activities. So what we try to tell the kids is, you know, you need to bring your parents to these so we can just meet them on a social basis. So some of that has worked, but um, we're, I think the mentoring problem, the mentoring program probably has had the most success so far. And uh, just a general, um, if, if you check your own heart, um, the best way to reach a parent is to do something amazing for their child. And um, just the church being, and the people and the volunteers being consistent with the children, um, showing them love, genuine love. And uh, the parents um, hear everything about what's going on. Um, the, children, the children talk about all this, and um, that's, but the th thing we have, if you are in a uh, difficult demographic, that's a totally different um, culture, practically, um, it's, I think the key is patience and um, perseverance. Because um, when, when we first got, it's taken lots and lots of years, this whole time, to build up trust between um, the, these weird people that go to church on Saturday, but they're, they're actually cool and there's not much weird about them anymore. And they, the parents are like, well, they might be, I don't know why in the world they go to church on Saturday. And that's pretty much the only objection they have anymore. Um, and they even come. They're curious. Now, I mean, it's just like, oh, they love God. They're genuine. They're amazing. But um, the, it's, we've piqued their curiosity. Um, but just we really ha have to wait, you know, and pray for them. And uh, God, God is working. And uh, he's getting ready for the harvest. But we need a little... Um, He's d helping us to be develop, develop and be more mature as an organization um, so that we have something that will stand the very critical eyes of um, adults. Yes. I have the microphone right here. No problem. My name is Elena. I am uh, originally from Romania. Uh, me and my daughters, we started three years ago build a um, ministry like it is... Um, Center of Refuge, Center for the Gypsies in Romania. We have a little problem with the local church. It's my, the church I was born in. I am the last 18 years I was in the United States, me and my daughter. Both of them, they are missionaries. I think it's a... Oh, okay. And um, I have a little problem because they are gypsy. They are not educated. They are not clean. They are very, very poor. I know the gypsy in Romania and the oldest in Romania very poor. I have a problem with the local church told me not to bring them in the church. Like, not didn't tell me like that, you know, like to bring me that, but it's a little rejected. It's a little, of course. <laughs> it's a little like, a, let's go to their um, um, village and build something there. Do you have that problem? Um, yeah, we get some pretty stinky people okay. coming in. How, so can I, how can I break that bridge? How can I say it? How can I put in? You know, 
For us, we during church time at least, you know, we've had several people that they just reek of urine or, you know, they smell really bad. It's hard sitting next to them. Um, and But we just, we don't make it an issue. Okay. So uh, when they come, and we try. There's one gentleman in particular that I can think of. We try to get into a relationship, talk to them, and, and, um, and gradually talk to them about cleaning up a little bit more and getting, and, you know, he cleaned up more and, and smelled better, but I think it's a process of education, but I don't think it should be the first thing that we tell them. I think we should love them first. <laughs> I'd like to say something about that. Um, well, um, I've tried um, for lots and lots of years to take um, children um, to Pioneer Memorial Church before um, the church really got, really got organized and all these things. And uh, they, were, they were really energetic Mm-hmm. and channeled it in not the most appropriate ways. And like you say, the, it, not the most hygienic. Um, but I, I mean, it's just simply what you do, uh, recognize the problem and do something about it. In other words, um, I bought them church clothes. Um, tell them, take your bath and okay. uh, before you come to church. And um, they're, they're really not opposed to any of that. It's just... Um, the forethought, the planning, the prudence. I mean, they, they may not have been to church a lot, I mean, and known all these stereotypes and all these things. Um, but, I mean, take, take the personal responsibility to do something. And even if you mention, um, uh, do it, I'd definitely recommend doing it on a small, smaller scale at first. And uh, really, uh, really focusing, not just small, when I say smaller scale, I mean... Um, it's not necessarily the quantity that you do, but the quality, um, especially when you're starting out with a new, um, new people group or whatever. You need, um, because the people that understand them the most, that can do the most effective ministry to them, is people that understand where they're coming, that, can, that connect with them on a deep, deep level, um, which is their uh, people that have been through things like them. That's how Christ can connect with all of us. Um, and that's why if you focus on um, just invest so much into one person, like God invests so much in one human sometimes, you know, and he, he makes us, he just puts everything into us so it will become an efficient tool for him. And that's what um, you'll notice there's some people that you connect with. Um, just focus on them. I mean, don't exclusively be like, I mean, ignore all the friends and whatever, but go with them and you'll meet, eventually, you'll have an influence over the whole people. And um, as they clean up, everyone will know. After you do it with the first people, two or three people, um, and they tell their friends about it, they'll, like, they'll want to come and they'll be like, no, you, got, you, have to, you have to clean up. You know, what are you going to wear? Just ask John. He'll buy you church clothes. You know. So, okay. Did you, did you have some, one more I do. comment to um, make? What was I going to say? I was going to say that for us, it's normal for us to come clean because we're used to it. It's something that we grew up in. But for them, it's not abnormal because yeah. that's what they're used to. So for from like what he was saying as well, not only 
I think he was saying like how you go about it, but you have to do it in a spirit of love and Mm -hmm. they're not going to change unless they feel that they belong. So it's not, you can't just do it the first week. Like, oh, you're here. I need you to change. But over time Mm -hmm. and just by your example, I think they will start to wonder, okay, you dress differently. You you look clean. And also, um, it is not about them. It's the The church. See, see the, the difference for us, at least from what I know is that, we bring them into their own church. We're not going into PMC every single week with them. So it is a bit different because the church consists of them and us. So for, for my opinion, it's a little different. And um, also, um, this is what it does talk about. Um, uh, we need to look for our opportunities. Sometimes you can't do it on a large group at the same time. Um, but the, the way we are... Um, Dressed, our hygiene, all these things, it reacts upon our mental mental state. And um, cleanliness um, really, uh, there's this quote, um, it says, neglected corners in, in the room um, or in the home tend to neglected corners in the soul. Um, so you can help them on a practical level to teach them um, an education basis, like the importance of all these different things. Um, because if people don't know the reason why, um, it's not going to last. And, um, yeah. And I think, um, talking about your question, um, I remember we used to have trouble with um, the fact that our, our main church wasn't accepting like the people that um, didn't look the part, you know. And what happened was we, we kind of just started together. We, I mean, we didn't want to be rebellious or, like, create bitter mindset, but what we did was we just started kind of like a prayer group of people on Sabbath. And um, I think that would, I mean, I don't know what the situation is, but I think that um, if you have a group of people that are, are like, like-minded together, I think that makes them feel more comfortable, makes them feel able to, you know, learn about God in a very comfortable way so they don't feel like people are always looking at them and they, that they have to change immediately for anything. Because I think ultimately um, it's about learning about Jesus in the end. So, yeah. And it sounds to me like the church is a little dirtier than the, the people. <laughs> um, so yeah. maybe if you talk, educated the church about how they That's can right. clean up um, so they are presentable to the people that they want to come visit them. Um, just let them know about the people, their needs, and educate them both. It's education. True education is redemptive. Oh, you finally answered, because I know her problem wasn't because they were smelling, but it was uh, leadership. In terms of leadership, how do you get uh, the leaders to be involved in such a thing? So thank you for answering the question. Thank you. I think when it was presented to our pastors, like, well, what should, somebody came and what should we do about this guy that smells really bad, you know? He was like, well, are people making an issue out of it? You know, our church is very accepting. So people weren't saying anything. You know, the kids would sit and eat next to him. We were, nobody said really sad anything. So we said, if no one, let's just, let's just leave it be. And, you know, and as time goes, if we, when we develop a relationship with him, maybe we could hopefully gradually get him to clean up. But and, and another practical thing, is I, I want to touch the controversy issue, if that's okay. Um, I, I I started this when I was 16 years old, and so I was, a, and it was very close to my heart. And uh, I was a little passionate, and I was a little indignant sometimes when um, everything 
everyone wasn't cooperating immediately because of this immediate need. Um, and I made a lot of mistakes. Um, and so did the church. But I think it's not... We need to get back to the fundamental pers- principles. What is God's plan? What are God's ways? What are Je- Jesus' methods? What does the spirit of prophecy say? I mean, they read some quotes earlier about um, the work in the cities, the work in these different places, in the highways and the hedges. Um, you, it really... There's really not something um, that the spirit of prophecy does not talk about. In the testimonies, I think, uh, 40, page 390 or 391 or something, it says every um, church member should read and reread the volumes of the spirit of prophecy and the testimonies. Um, for in them, um, I'm, I forgot the rest. I'm sorry. I haven't been temperate here in these meetings very much. But basically it says uh, it deals with almost every area and circumstance of life. It says there's nine volumes. I know it's like almost 5,000 pages. But it says it's testimonies for the church. And if we believe that um, there's a there's a prophet for the end-day church that had a message that was relevant to our time and our ministry and getting us to heaven, I think... Um, we need, this is a perfect opportunity to get us all, you know, not focused on, well, this is the way I think it's done, this is the way you think it's done, but looking at these principles that are laid down in the Word of God and the spirit of prophecy and um, digging deeper for everybody, because none of us read our Bible as, our should, as we should or, you know, follow as close as we can in the um, plans that God has mercifully given us for these last days. Um, for these areas that need so much help. Was there another question? (laughs) (laughs) We can... Reaching the the adults in my work, I've just finished a medical missionary course. Every one of the customers I have, I've talked to on health. And every one of them is interested in health. Health, as we know from the spirit of prophecy, is the entering wedge. Mm -hmm. So no one can find a family where they're not dealing with either obesity, diabetes, hypertension, or cancer, or one of these diseases that can naturally be cured with the eight laws of health. So one of the major ways of uh, adding that piece is just some of the natural remedies, because they're going to grasp that immediately and then he made a comment about um, from Proverbs I mean from Psalms 34 7 where you were talking about the angel and camps around but when when people were trying to figure out in the ways of money and I think the work that you all are doing is amazing and it is the gospel in its truest form to go meet the people's needs Um, but it also says if you go to verse 8 and 9, and oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saint. There is no want to those who, um, who fear him. So when you fear the Lord, there is no want. And the most, one of the most powerful texts are in Proverbs 19:17 that says, They who have pity on the poor lend to the Lord. And it says, He will repay him. So if AUC or Andrew stops giving as long as you're lending to the poor you're lending to God and he will repay you so we should never fear funding when we're doing the Lord's work because his promises are sure 
Hello, I just wanted to add, um, one of the things that I like doing the most is community service work. I like doing that more than anything. I do that pretty much all the time. But one of the things that I do find in the church, uh, I'm from Dallas, but I've been in here in Houston now almost seven years, is that the churches have the structures there, the kitchens, the buildings, but we do everything internally, and it's kind of hard to do anything to get people to understand that you can be people over the head with the Bible all day long and you can debate, but if you have not met people's needs, they're not going to receive you. And that's, you know, if people would quit saying, what would Jesus do? And then just say, what did Jesus do? You would have the answer to a whole lot of problems. And so my thing is, when you present uh, proposals and ideas to the church, they'll come up with reasons you never believe, like, well, we don't have the insurance. The same people could walk in church and fall. So what's the difference? <laughs> you know, you don't have to have a service for them to get hurt, you know. But what what can you do? Because I'm finding now that I'm having to set things up outside of the church. And then the big theory is, it's like, okay, once they get the knowledge and everything, and then you have to bring them to the church if, they're, if the people in the church mind, like I was raised Adventist, so it's not too much will make me just turn my back on Adventism. But if somebody was not raised in it and they feel like they can get, if they're loved over here and they're not loved over here, yeah. I th I think they we, may leave. I think we really get your point. I think the answer is James 1.27. You know, um, it's pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father and this is to visit the fatherless and the widow in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Many churches um, haven't uh, ha got that mission statement of what pure and undefiled religion is. Um, and that, that encompasses everyone, the widows and the fatherless. Um, you know, the fatherless, some... A true father, um, very many of us have had fathers, you know, maybe they've even been Adventists, but um, we may at sometimes, um, according uh, to the, okay, they might not always feel like the father that God meant for us to have, okay? And the church um, really needs to fill in those gaps, um, and the widows uh, it's it's everybody, in short. Oh, I was just just to come on what you were talking about. Um, my just a, I guess an example or an idea for um, I guess having a church that helps out with these things. A lot of people are honestly just ignorant to the needs of people, and um, they may know that they they exist and they know that these are there. Um, but they've never really seen it, you know. And so I think, and a lot of people, they want to help in their minds, you know, but they don't have any practical, they don't, they're not thinking of any practical ways that, you know, they can do it. And um, I think just if you have a group of people that are passionate about this, I think, and coming up with some practical ideas for the church, folk, church folks, I guess, to get involved, um, 
and just sharing testimonies and personal stories, I think that touches people more than, um, more than I guess maybe guilting them into it or finding some other way like that. What I'm finding is, like from the from the conference level, if the church stops sending the offering, they're going to be concerned about what's going on. So why is it that the conferences, if they can mandate that people have these things, the conferences are not encouraging the churches to set the programs up. If they made that as part of the, like they have Adventist Community Services, but Giving people clothes and food and sending them on their way is not a ministry when you have a building seven days a week that's only used on the seventh day, you know. So what I'm seeing is, even when you look in the room now, it's not a lot of people in here. So it's not the heart of the church, and that's proof in this room. Look how many people are here today and who's here, you know. So what I'm saying is, what will, because, you know, it's not that people don't know. And I'm just going to tell something about myself. I was raised Adventist, but I didn't stay on the yellow brick road, okay? I had five children. I was not married. And my grandfather was an Adventist minister. So you can imagine if they were stoning people, I would have gotten it a long time ago, you know? But what I'm saying is this. I have the two-sided experience because I have the been raised in the church, and I also have what it was like when I was outside of the church. And I also remember the truth brought me back in. But everybody doesn't have that. And my concern is when you have that burden on you and the church is asleep, you know, it's like you don't, you're judging and you can't, if you're judging the situation, you can't help people in situations that you're judging. Mm-hmm. And that's where the wall is. It's like the education. You, if I go to somebody with something, then they feel like, oh, that's your issue. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you feel like you never sinned, then God can't do nothing for you because Jesus died for the sinner. So if you feel like your stuff is not out there, then you're, it doesn't apply to you. Then I'm just looking at what, how do you get to the point where it's not going to come from the inside, it seems like with the churches where they're going to say, okay, let's start the ministry. Or let's do these things. Or if you bring it, they're not going to receive it. So how do you get it to come from the top down? Because it's not coming from the bottom. Well, main... Okay, um, you mentioned several things there. Um, But getting it to come from the top down, um, we go down to our knees and get it to come down to ourselves. And then we go to church, and it's in the church. And then... Um, when there's real, genuine love in us, then it makes um, anyone that may be in charge of things that's supposed to be facilitating that, you know, it really doesn't... It helps them want to change. Um, And it helps them see that the members... Most of it, most of the, the conferences not cooperating in, like, taking this to the world is because church members don't want to be pushed, okay? They don't want to um, get up out of the pew. They, want, they don't want you to talk about their sins, okay? Or even holiness in a way that offends them, okay? Because they're not whole. Any, anything that isn't holy, right? So, and um, if you had them paying your salary um, and you're offending all these people pretty soon, 
And you had the beautiful children, I mean, it's, that were hungry and you wanted to live in a house. Anyway, it's very, it puts diff, ministers, administrators in a very difficult position when church members don't do what the basics of getting on their knees in the morning um, and getting it from the top down themselves. And um, also, when you're um, in charge of God's church on earth, which is his military on earth. I mean, this is a war. This is a great controversy. And when um, we're supposed to pray for our ministers, people, our, our administrators, our, our president, all these things. We're supposed to pray that the winds of strife will be held back long enough that we can finish this work. And um, it, there's just lots of simple steps like that that we can take. Um, and maybe some... I, Pastor David, do you want to answer, say something to this? I, you know, for us, we've had a lot of support from the Pioneer Memorial Church and the local churches and also the conference. So I don't, I don't know how to... Um, Michigan is awesome. Yeah, so, so we, we, we've been blessed with that. Um, but it did start small, just like we told you. It didn't start out big with people saying, we want to do this. It started with just a few students going out. And, you know, when I went out and got involved with the ministry at Harbor, I just went to actually pa- congratulate Pastor Yap on the ministry um, there because he got hired to work there, and I knew him as a friend, so I went to go congratulate him. And I was walking through the hallways. There was only two Sabbath schools at the time. I was walking through the hallways, and... Um, I felt very impressed to go into the teen Sabbath school. I went in there, and the leader there, she says, will you, you know, at the end of it, she says, can you start teaching Sabbath school? And I looked at her like, what? Because she was going to be leaving in a couple of weeks, and they really needed somebody. And so at that point, that started the process for me. I prayed about it and felt very impressed to go to Harbor of Hope and start there. Um, And then eventually my whole family joined, and it's become a family ministry for us. But I just think that... um, it's, it started out small, you know, even for me. And my only regret is that I didn't do it sooner, that I didn't get involved earlier, because um, I came about two years after it got started. But I, I don't know, you want to say something I mean, about Texas? Because you're... <laughs> I don't know about that, but um, y'all. I think... Y'all, that's right. Um, I think was the question, I'm trying to kind of get what the question... Was the question what... How do you get well, the conference? What happens when no one from the yeah, top okay. is... Yeah, okay, so like we have Texas Conference and Southwest Region mm-hmm. Conference that covers this area. Mm-hmm. And they're not kind of corresponding with what we think well, the needs. You have, like, it's several churches right here in Houston. In fact, mm-hmm. it's more, I think, more churches here than we even had in Dallas. But as far as our church being a place where kids know they can come, because mm-hmm. even right here in Houston, I've been on panels with, the, with, with CPS and juvenile probation where it's large sums of kids going through the system and yeah, kids uh, coming out of the system and kids that need to be adopted. It's just and when they turn 18, they're done and they just like, they're just out there. Mm-hmm. So it's kind so, of... so, but it's like when you go to the church and you say, okay, they have this program going on. Now they've lost funding and these kids don't have anywhere to go, they're trying to find a place for them to go. And some are even just some of the Sunday churches, they're saying that they think of the kids as being, quote, bad, mm-hmm. so they don't want to deal with them. But I'm like, they're going to grow up, and then they're going to be adults caught up in an even deeper system. And it's like for us to sit back as a church and go every week, and because our kids may not be affected by it, maybe your neighbor's kids mm-hmm. that's affected by it, but if you, at some point, it's going to come home because you can't escape it. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, um, as you were kind of talking, what just kept um, moving on my heart was we honestly can't wait for somebody else mm. to do it. Mm. Um, and we, we are the ones that have to be about it. Because at the end of the day, it's not necessarily going to be the conference that says, your church should do this. But if the Lord has moved on your heart, I encourage you to go out and do that. So I... Um, I, grew up in, I grew up in Houston. Um, I actually taught here for two years um, in Fondrenet. I don't know if anyone. Anyway, so in inner city Houston. And so I saw the exact same thing that you're talking about and going, all right, we have these students in the inner city that we're not necessarily doing um, anything to reach them. And a lot of them are in my class every day. And I realized that I kept saying, why is the church not doing anything? Why is the church not doing anything? And I thought, wait a minute, I see them five days out of the week. Why am I, at the end of the day, not doing anything and waiting for the church to? So then I realized it was something that, it was now my responsibility. And God put it on my heart, I need to do something there. So it started to be like, guys, you just get in my car. I'll pick you up Saturday. We're going to have a good time. You come, we have lunch. And then so now, then they started to come to church. And I actually, as you were talking, the same issue that you were talking about, I had. Because they come in my car and be like, well, Mr. Spencer, uh, like we, and they have on their jersey and stuff. And I think they look pretty cool. But, you know, they come to the church and we kind of feel a little bit out of it. I was like, and honestly, and I was nervous to say this because I, anyway, but this is, this is how, this is what I did and kind of take it how you want to. But it was, if that's how you guys are dressing, you're not dirty. It's just a different way of dressing. And it's not a rule to come to church and be dressed up. So it's like, here's what you have on, brother. We're going to be wearing the exact same thing next week. And then when something that was addressed, like, I literally, I walked inside of church and I saw a friend, actually a friend of mine looked me up and down and was kind of like, really? And I was like, yeah, I'm here, to, here at church to worship. And then that opened up a dialogue. So now let's talk about why is it that you think you have to come to church, come to church dressed up a specific way? And anyway, so that's that. But it's kind of really to address your, um, what you were talking about. I was actually reading a book this past week about Tom's, like the Tom's shoes. And um, the guy that started up was talking about it. And pretty much what it was is he saw a need and he went and did it. He didn't wait for anyone to do anything because who's going to think of making shoes for something? Like that wasn't, that wasn't going to happen. So he said, here's what I can do within my sphere of influence. And as a result, what's happened is people have caught on. And now people are part of this large movement. So I guess my encouragement there is that you have, it seems like you have an experience that is so unique to you and something that's really been moving on your heart. So I would say like, if you have a friend that can team up with you, what can we do now to transform our local church? And even now moving back to Houston is a little bit difficult for me because I've seen this church model. And I'm like, well, my home church here doesn't quite look like that. And I, there's no way I can go back to sitting in a pew saying amen, maybe sit down with a couple of friends and then leave. Um, and that be the end of Sabbath. And so I'm, I'm kind of at the point similar to you, like, what is it now? What is the step that we're going to take? I don't know if that answered your and, question. And I was just going to say, with it's a constant challenge. I'm the Sabbath school superintendent, and to find leaders to, you know, because we're going to be losing um, Pastor David here for a little bit at least. Maybe he's going to come back in six months. You know, we're losing, and it, because so many of our leaders are students. And <laughs> I've invited friends, you know, to come and join our church because we need stability with families, more families that are in the, in the area rather than students who are transient. They're wonderful, and I have, a, you know, we have an amazing group of talented young people but a lot of them are transient they're there only two three years and they're on their way and so we really need more stability in our church to help it to grow too but it's kind of like what you were saying is like why aren't they coming i don't know because to me it's an awesome church and my kids have really been blessed by it my kids are all in ministry at the church and it's been an amazing thing in their life i think if people could see that i think you know we'd come they all have you know people have issues and i don't know what they are and but I know we constantly struggle with, um, so I just said, hey, we're going to do it. I'm not going to worry if the others that we've invited that don't come or not, we're just going to be involved. And I wanted to give a personal um, 
just some advice for all of us to remember um, that we are living in the last days of Earth's history. And um, the Bible tells us to endure hardness as good soldiers of the cross. And um, it not wait. the Bible tells us to wait so much, but it never tells us to wait on anything except the Lord. And uh, we need to learn to recognize, especially in these times, the moving of the Holy Spirit upon our own hearts, convicting us of um, what we are to do personally. You know, um, we can depend on God to um, tell, other, tell the church when it's time, but He's uh, telling us when we, we have these strong feelings, strong impressions from the Lord, um, he, he wants us to do something now. Well, my question is, I know you guys are doing um, whatever you're doing, and I've always had this burden that I think, you know, the reaping process is a process. You sow, you, you have to nurture, you have to reap and harvest. And um, I'm part of this ministry in Texas that we go door-to-door. -door. We, uh, we, we leave our CDs. We do the same thing, but door-to-door. -door. And then every time we, we leave a sermon, we ask if they have any needs. But after a while, we, you know, you go out to so many doors. Sometimes, you know, God, you see God is working his, in his people. You see people are responding. But then you, you hit a wall. Like, how, how does your ministry kind of co complete the whole process of the, you know, the planting, the reaping, and harvest? Because I feel like our ministry ends up just almost halfway on, uh, on just, you, you, you just plant the seed. But just even sometimes the sowing and yeah. all that, it kind of dies. You, we just kill the crop before even, you know, get into <laughs> the harvest. So I, I know you guys are doing the food, and that's part of your planting. How do you, if you could just tell me how you managed to finish the whole, uh, the whole process to the harvest to get somebody to be baptized and, you know, being Adventist, that would really help me a lot and I'll probably help me. I'll just say one, uh, another Bible verse, and then uh, I'll let Tiffany address this. Um, we've all heard, in the morning sow thy seed, in the evening withhold not your hand, if you know not what will prosper, either this or that. You know, we have, we need to evaluate ourselves and not, um, you know, take our expectations as, as God's. You know, it's like he has, you know, we re remember how long it took us. Maybe we were in the church. Maybe we came into church. We're still, we're still growing. And lots of people take a long time to make a baptismal um, decision. Um, but, um, I think we need to uh, recognize, you know, that this isn't exactly what you were saying, um, but we just keep in mind, uh, we trust God um, that he will do th what he wants through us as um, he asks us, uh, um, as we ask him to do that. And um, Tiffany was going to talk about the actual process we use um, to well, follow I up. Mean, I was going to say what steps. Layla said, um, it's God who does the harvesting. and 
God gives us the ability to plant that first seed, and after that, you have to continue to, I don't know, along, in my journey along the way, there have been a lot of kids who have come at one point, and then they just stop. And then years later, I'll see them, like, in school or something, and I'm like, man, God, I let that one get away. And God's like, no, that one is still mine. It's not my job to make sure that they get there because that's the Spirit's work, and God's going to bring them there. But I had to realize that wherever God uses me, I have to make sure that I'm doing everything he wants me to do there. Sometimes I want to do it in all the places and follow them the whole time throughout their lives, making sure, you know, they get there and that I'm not losing them along the way. But I learned that I can't be that many people all in one. So whatever I do, I do with all my might wherever God puts me. And if that means I'm only going to see that child maybe for that year, because God forbid they might move away. But I have to make sure in that time I'm praying and I'm, I'm asking God to reveal to me how much do I need to pour into this young person because once they leave, they might never receive that same love from a church again, you know what I mean, or from people who care about them. And also, because of technology, even when someone leaves now, you still have cell phones, they're still text messaging. So you want them to know that even though they leave, that you're still there. And I think David had mentioned this before um, at one of our meetings you begin to have an influence on someone, was it like after six months of like being with them? You said something like that, like it still takes time. So I don't know like how it would be if it was like, oh, I only had a week with a child, but then that would, be, that would um, involve, you know, more prayer and more understanding of what I can do. But it also does take time. So if you feel like you, you're at a block and it's like, man, it's only been like three months, you know, and this kid has been on fire or the family and now they're, you know, not wanting to come keep praying because it takes more time than we think and keep being patient. Did I answer your question? Well, I, or what was your just, question? I just want to add a little bit more to that because you asked specifically what do we do and oh. some of the things. Yeah. No, but oh, yeah, I appreciate that because I think that's really important because I know I used to stress that a little bit like if they don't show up to Sabbath school, you know, what's going on, you know, but I just said, you know, this is God's ministry and he's using me and he's using you. Um, he's using everyone here and like you said, it's not for us to completely sort the whole thing out. But what we do is our plan for the church, okay, is the afternoon programming like what John and Layla are involved in is our evangelistic tool. Okay, that's the evangelistic tool that brings the young people in. And, you know, sometimes we had over 200 kids attending the different programming that I showed you with the rock and all the different things occurring. From there, our hope is to invite them to church. Um, and sometimes, you know, we've actually... <laughs> had to tell the kids to, um, we don't invite as many to church because we can't handle that many. We can't handle as many kids sometimes who want to come to church um, because we don't have enough adult staff to, it, it sounds bad, but that's the situation for us. So from there, once they come to church, the mentoring occurs more intensively. It's progressive. We find the children that are more attending regularly of Sabbath school and church are tend to be deeper, uh, tend to be discipled in a deeper way. They tend to make more commitments. And from there, if they're interested in Bible studies and baptism, we go from there. But we're also trying to implement uh, where once they're baptized, a disciple proce discipleship process for a year or two where they're actually taught and trained and there's a very purposeful way of discipling them because a lot of times we baptize people but they go out the doors I think there's some studies that show within six months they're out the doors again mm -hmm. and the reason is because we're not discipling the people that we're bringing in so um, 
you know, we get stuck on quantity rather than quality sometimes. And so um, the other thing is we were doing baptism as a little, maybe a little bit too easily. Now we've gotten more strict. Uh, our pastor is pretty strict about uh, baptisms that, you know, if they say they want to be baptized, but they don't show up regularly to baptismal classes or Bible studies, you know, he lets them know you're not really ready right now because you're not made that commitment. And, or, or if they're having life issues, um, there's one person who wanted to get baptized but just would not keep Sabbath. Just didn't, thought it was outdated and wasn't something that uh, was important in her life. But came to a crisis, sort of, and um, we're, we're letting her know that, you know, these are some issues that are very important if you're working towards that. With the kind of ministry that we're involved in and probably what you're involved in, you may not see rapid returns. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, it may be a long-term process that's going to take a while before you really see the fruits. So you've got to be patient with it. And I just know that some of these problems that we have in our community with the generational um, issues, there's some of our people that have had generational issues in their life and that's been passed on you know, through generations. It's difficult to break some of these things mm-hmm. for them. So, you know, it does, it, it, there may not be a set time where we can move them along as, much as, as fast as we'd like, but that's the process, kind of, what we use and what we're trying to uh, uh, implement in our church. Does that, does that answer it a little? It does. It, it does answer it a lot because I've noticed like a lot of people think, you know, just witnessing is going at somebody's mm-hmm. home, leaving a flyer, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. But that you just planted the seed and it's a whole process. And mm-hmm. for you guys to even notice that, I think it's amazing. And these guys maybe, you know, like David had to leave, but he's planted a, some seeds. And somebody else may do the harvesting, you know, mm-hmm. with, with the baptism and later. But I know he's worked with a lot of young uh, men. And, um, you know, and they're not baptized yet, many of them, you know, and they're not even, many of them coming, coming consistently to church. But I'm hoping that they, you know, we're hoping that the, that'll gradually change. I just, uh, I have the same question as you. And I've had to just uh, come up with a <clears throat> one that I can, I can bank on, and that's, that's the Word of God. And that's uh, Isaiah, um, Psalm 26, 6. It says, uh, he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And I've been working with uh, this certain family and, uh, for almost nine years now. And um, none of them are baptized. And um, none of them uh, even come to the Harbor of Hope Church. Um, but I see God moving in their lives and they just love me to death and I know that it's not me that they love Uh, it's Jesus in me and I, I just bank on that text if I put in the tears and the time um then God has given his promise that I will come again with rejoicing, bringing my sheaves with me. Any other questions? I just want to really encourage, as a parent, I really want to encourage those of you who have children, get your children involved. 
because I really think this is a big problem within our church. Will our young people be bench warmers for too long? They don't, they don't get involved, and as a result, they go out the door. So if you want your kids to, you know, stay, stay in the faith and be strong, get them involved young. My youngest one, like I told you, he's eight, but he helps out with Kids Zone in the afternoon. He stays there, he helps set up, take things down, put chairs away. You know, he feels good about it. <laughs> so get involved. I love to talk about the heart of it when we run out of time. Oh. Well, you guys, um, one, one thing that Jesus says is that um, they will know. Um, I'm sorry. Anyway, it's very important that we have love for one another in the church. And um, for the people that were... Every, everything, that's the love, that's the motive that Jesus runs on, is love. And um, it says those that are teachers, they should not only be whole-souled, but large-hearted. And um, I, I, for one, when I came into the... Um, I, got, I got involved in this ministry. I was just a kid. I, was, I had just turned 16 years old. And um, I was just um, a very um, kind of frustrated kid. Um, I was frustrated with the church. Um, so, but I loved Jesus, and um, I didn't really feel like I fit um, sitting in the pew, um, doing not much, or li- just listening to more and more sermons. Um, but I, so I was really grateful when I had this opportunity to go to Benton Harbor and just hang out with kids. You know, I connected with them because I felt like I skipped a lot of my childhood um, through certain things. And um, I, I really connected with the children. And um, they, they are really the reason that I've developed as a Christian um, at all. I have so much more I need to do um, to develop. But... Um, just the heart and soul of it is recognizing of ministry is recognizing that they're just like you and they need we're to go tell them what we know what we have seen what we have felt what we have um, what our hands have handled of the words of life of Jesus you know we just tell what we know we don't have to go be hypocrites telling them you know um, about this belief that we have that like like we know the reason why it's number 28 you know it just changes from 27 to 20 you know how we don't have to go tell those to people um but the book education has helped me so much in just understanding that um it's not education it's not the pushing of um information on unreceptive and unready minds it's um giving truth, relevant truth, to minds um, that God has agitated a question. So what we um, need to do is like identify um, what, where, what stage people are at. Pray for spiritual discernment to see, Lord, what do they need? You know, do they just need a smile? They just need to see that I'm genuine. It takes years in these kinds of environments where the um, city government was so corrupt. Everything... Um, in like Benton Harbor, 
is very, very corrupt. And all their trust places um, have disappointed them. I mean, they have spiritual discernment. I mean, really. They, they can see if something's genuine or not. And they look around um, everywhere. And unless you stay there and get their attention, the kids, they won't, they won't obey. They're like, who are you? I mean, this little kid. I mean, he's like, who are you? I don't have to do what you say. You're not my mommy. You're not my daddy. Leave me alone. And you better not touch me either. You know, so they go try to make some trouble. But if you're there over and over again, they begin to love you and miss you. And um, that's, that's what we really need to do is just look and see where they are at and develop that relationship. Just like we are developing it with Christ or develop it with any other person. We have to mingle with them like Christ did as one that desires their good and then um, bid them follow us when we show them. You know, very rarely did um, Christ rebu- rebuke sin openly. I mean, like, on specific sins. He caused general principles to be heard in the hearing um, of large multitudes. And they were all to examine their own hearts to see if they were um, convicted of, of any of um, these, of sin and listening to any of these truths. And often, they didn't even think of their sins, okay? He didn't hold this up before them because, like, in Benton Harbor, we've recognized that people, they know their sins. Most, a lot of the parents just don't come because they have a sense of guilt about them. They know they shouldn't drink. They know they shouldn't smoke. They know they're not the parent they want to be. And it breaks their heart. They know they're not healthy, but they just don't have money. They, it's a frustrated system and everyone has disappointed them. That's why we must give them Jesus, um, who will never disappoint them. And even the churches, even the, um, non- the various nominal churches in uh, Benton Harbor, they, um, they're often sponsored by um, larger churches in bigger cities that s- notice the huge need um, and crazy statistics that Benton Harbor has. Um, and they send um, people to start ministries there. But they end up being just like, um, they end up giving a couple backpacks, backpacks out and uh, food here and food there. And it's not valued by the people because it's not given with love. And they, like, they fight over, oh, that's not the color I want. This isn't the color. And you end up seeing all these outside one of these big uh, rally, like giveaway things. Um, you see half the stuff laying in the street still because people were like, oh, I didn't want that color. I didn't want this. You know, it's like, and they don't, they don't care because it wasn't given to them with love. And every truth we have to see when we're ministering to other people, we have to make sure that it's given with love so it means something to them, however small it is. Because when we give people something small, when it comes from God, he doesn't, he doesn't know how to do something small. He, he's so big, he's so infinitely large that God does not do anything small. And just like um, taking a bite of some fruit caused all the problems in your life, and maybe you didn't bite the fruit. I know you didn't bite the fruit. But um, Eve and everyone, it was, there's no reason for sin. There's no rhyme. But, um, and the devil is real. The great controversy is real. Um, but what we, what we have to do is we all got to stick together here um, as people of the planet Earth that are under attack by... Um, 
an enemy that doesn't want to know how much our Father loves us. want us to know how much our Father loves us. And we need to love our brothers and sisters and recognize each other. Every, every color we have, every um, uh, sex, gender, everything. Um, every difference that we have. It just should bind us more closely together in Christ's love. And, um, well, we're going to... We're going to have a prayer. Oh, if you have any more questions. Does anyone have any more questions? I was just we were going to ask one more question. Oh, okay. uh, our last question was, for us, was... I was going to ask... Um, what do you think is the biggest challenge as we move into the future for our church of Harbor of Hope? And I guess to that, I just wanted to say, for myself at least, sometimes our biggest challenge is ourselves um, and how much we allow God to use us in ministry. Um, and we can't depend on ourselves because if you're self-sufficient, you're not going to thrive. You're going to get tired. Um, and so the biggest challenge for me would be how much am I going to rely on Christ to to open doors and to move for the for Harbor of Hope? Because at the end of the day, um, Christ is coming back for the people that he loves, and he wants us to know about him. So if we lose sight of him, then we've lost it all in general. Um, and another thing, I guess, another challenge that we face is the parents. And I think this year is, we're going to see um, if our methods towards reaching them are effective. And that's going to be a beautiful thing because when, once we have the whole family, then a lot of walls are going to be broken down. Um, they're probably going to start inviting their own families. So ministering to the family is going to be a big thing for us this semester as well. It's a challenge now, but I pray it becomes a victory after this year. Jesus in love. So therefore, um, I believe when he said um, they didn't give it in love, it means that they didn't receive it with love. And that's why they have it, the backpack or whatever, still there. That's what I wanted to say. Right. And um, as we all know, that's what we um, study. You know, Mrs. White talks about um, anywhere where the power of intellect or... um, force or anything like that, any power but love is um, perceived by the one uh, who receives it, it increases their resistance. And uh, we have that responsibility to make sure that it's manifest, the love um, is manifest to the person we're giving it to. You know, we can, I've I've given lots of things to people with love, um, but they couldn't (laughs) see it. It was not anywhere near their language. And it made me sad, but um, yeah, they, I, I didn't mean to judge the motives of anyone. I don't know the motives of anyone, but I just saw a lot of the stuff they gave away in the street. And um, it's, I, I don't want to see um, the gospel in the street. And uh, What I wanted to say, because if I have my kid, if I have my daughter or my son or, you know, whatever, and I could give them whatever I want to give them, 
I love them with all my heart, with everything that I have. But I'm giving them the gift of God, but they don't want it. They're not going to accept it, even though I'm giving them in love. All I have to do is just pray for them, you know, and just let them come. So that's kind of where I was trying to say. A lot of people don't know how to receive stuff in love. Can I answer you? One of the things that he mentioned, too, is the relationship. I really think a lot of people want to just give money or just, which is fine. I mean, I, I think people will do as the Lord moves them. You know, they have to be faithful. It's not for me to decide what they're supposed to be doing. But um, I think they feel like if they give money but not really put their time in, that, that it somehow, you know, makes a difference, but it really doesn't. What many of our, what our people need, our children and adults, they need our time. And they need us to uh, take time to get to know them. It's the relationships that really, over the long haul, has, has made the difference. Um, so the, to the question, what is the biggest challenge? You had something to say for okay, a couple question. of... Or, or there's, I just uh, have a comment on, on what she's talking about. You know, in, in Luke 17, 17, yes. it says, Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one where it talks about the ten lepers that were healed. Oh, okay. And only one came, came back, back and said, said thank, thank you. you. Even if you get that one, don't worry about you because you right. can't not do it. Exactly. Because you're worried about what they're going to do. Your mission right. is to do the work. And whatever happens with it, you do your part, you know. Excellent. That's exactly right. And uh, to answer the question, what is our biggest challenge as we move forward? As you see it, yes. As I, as I see it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, is definitely us to answer the prayer of Christ, um, for us to be one as he is one, and to be um, united in his love, and to um, move forward, um, not focusing on our, on our petty differences of um, opinion, um, and having that keep us from working together or causing um, this union or strife between us, but um, uniting in our love, our consuming love for souls that um, is Christ's example that we are following. Um, and that's, that's, I think it's simple, but it may not be easy. Nope. <laughs> Layla, did you want to say something about that too? Okay. All right. I don't know what happened to Pastor David. He's sticking off. Any other questions? At any point, are y'all looking at organizing under like a 501c3 or, or are y'all yeah. able to see we, outside the donation? We haven't been able to, but that's eventually the goal, to become a church and not be under. Um, but we don't have enough um, from the community. And, you know, we don't have that just yet. But hopefully that'll be the process to I mean, work you're, towards. You're organizing a church? or We are a church, but we're not... Um, we're still we're not we're still under the umbrella of PMC, so so they're still they still supervise things that we do and look over us and have a governance board that watches what we're doing. We're not independent in that way as a church would be, completely. And even with our ministries, we're we're not independent. Like yeah. if we take some the kids from the church and do things and start our own ministries with it, we still have to abide by their rules yes. yeah in terms of driving and all that stuff so. which is good i mean you know right now this is just the way it is yeah it, but it helps us with the insurance and 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 safety protocols yeah. uh for protecting our children 
you know, we have all these guidelines, and it's pretty much the PMC guidelines, and we ha we have to abide by. Are y'all in, in a position where y'all can get like if somebody wanted to donate money to your organization? Is it where people can get their? Are y'all set up where y'all able to give them their write off for doing it? Or yeah, it goes through PMC still, but it oh, does okay. go to Harbor of Hope. I think this is one of the best ways to get your whole church organized um, by utilizing all the gifts that a church has. Um, as you develop something, launch out something new, you run into all sorts of challenges that aren't in your talent base. And, um, but if you're acquainted with church members, um, sometimes there's a lot of very gifted, intelligent, talented people um, just... Um, aren't, aren't into going door to door so much, um, but they can they can get you a five uh, one three C or something five oh yeah that number nonprofit status like um, immediately you know it's like they they know just the steps that you need to follow they know just what you need and um, there's transportation people there's everyone just giving something you know um the spirit of prophecy talks about how one of the best things that pastors can do is to give their members something um to do for the lord and um a good shepherd a good general um you know can see those discern those needs and how we can all work together and that's why we definitely need to pray for our administrators our pastors everyone in responsible positions um that God will guide them um, to use their talents in the most useful way in his cause. And uh, recognize also our personal um, responsibility to do everything in our power. Um, he knows how much we can do with his help, and he wants us to know that as well by experience. You had a question, sir? A comment? Okay. Okay. So hopefully, maybe down the road... Um, Harbor Folk will become independent and become a church. You know, but we do have two other churches um, that are not that far away from where we're at. But because of what um, you know, the lady that was sitting here said, where they, the, some of the children didn't get accepted, and you know, they didn't feel. I, I think they felt they had to start something of their own, and that's how Harbor of Hope. Because, you know, we do have two sister churches that are just about a mile away from us. They're not very far. But we didn't feel comfortable being able to take uh, some of the folks that come to our church and being able to fit in, I guess. Isn't that unfortunate? But <laughs> so, so anyhow, so that's one of the reasons, too, that, you know. Yeah, and we don't have to go overseas to do it. I mean, it's wonderful for missionaries to go overseas, but there's a big mission field right here. You know, we don't have to, all of us don't have to go overseas. We, um, we would encourage all of you, especially if you live in uh, a city, um, to read uh, Mrs. White's counsel on the cities. Um, you, we read a couple quotes from some of those passages, but she has lots of detailed things that will really touch your heart and give you a direction to help, help get you started um, on the right path. Um, one of those, um, I don't know if you guys uh, wrote down the references for those quotes earlier, but um, 
they're usually somewhere um, within uh, very enlightening chapters on the topic. And um, most of the people in the world live in cities, and we really need to prayerfully develop um, ways and means um, to take the word, um, the gospel to them. And um, there's no, no time to delay. Um, the work is closing up fast in some of these cities, and uh, we definitely need to pray um, for these cities and for the workers there and how we can be involved in um, every part of the Lord's cause ourselves. If there's no more questions, we'll just pray and wrap it up. John, do you want to say a prayer for us? Closing prayer? Or do you want to? Are you going to? Dear Father, thank you so much for, um, for the opportunity to, um, to help people in need and just to get to know other people and to be able to um, do service for, for you, Father. Um, we know that you, this is a privilege um, to, to be able to reach other people, Father. So I ask you to give us wisdom and help us to know exactly what to do and help us to lean on you and to trust in you and to um, fully devote our lives to your service and to what, is, what you want us to do. And um, help us to constantly be filled with your spirit and to be constantly filled with you and to constantly reach for you and keep our eyes on you so that we can um, show your love and your patience and your peace and, and um in your gentleness and your kindness to everyone that comes in contact with us, Father. And be with each of these people that are here and their um, different dreams and different ministries that they want to get involved with. Be with Harbor of Hope as well. And um, help us to be able to reach um, every person um, that you want us to reach, Father. Help us to be able to be effective and so that you can come very, very, very soon and take all of us home. Um, We're kind of sick of this world and we really want to go home, Father. So help us to able to plant those seeds and to um, open the doors so that um, you can come very, very soon, Father. Amen. 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 This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.